On this episode of Pennies Going In Raw, it's the second edition of the Midweek Minisode. Hugh and I dive into some Q&A, a little market recap, Hugh's trading strategy, and whether or not to hide your gains from your spouse. <laughs> hey, yo, check one, two. This is Flavor Flav in the building for the Atlas crew. Atlas trading, what the fuck is up? They're traders, they're prodigies, and then there's legends. Rob, 4%, baby. No way. 4%. percent Buy the fucking dip. Hey, who told me about IDEX? Like, dude, what the fuck? Like, someone just made, like, a lot more money than me on my trade. You find out likes this game of pennies. Did you check the portfolio? Pennies. 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 The margin for error is so small. I bet Warren Buffett never did that. And they out here making money right now off of penny stocks. The two guys is putting in work to make y'all rich. The pennies we need are everywhere around us. Time to think big. Pennies going in raw. Featuring Dan, Deity It Dips. And Hugh Honey. Produced by Vinny Strokes, baby. Welcome to Pennies Going in Raw. Today is Wednesday, August the 12th, and it seems like the market uh, has stopped soaring like an eagle. It's uh, found a little nice nice range to stop. Yeah, I liked it better when it was soaring and everything was soaring with it, personally. Yeah, I, I, can, I can agree to that. Uh, so... We, we were just two points away from an all-time high around lunch yesterday uh, on SPY, whenever it hit, what, 337, I believe. But, you know, it just started taking a big hit afterwards. Uh, yesterday, we released a video. It's called The Daily Dip, some new we're doing, uh, where we kind of discussed it. But could you kind of re-go over that, why you think the market had such a big drop from speculation of Biden's vice president to the, to the Russian vaccine and all it entailed? Yeah, so that's really important. See, the thing is that, and and the cool thing about last night's video was that we all kind of had a different perspective of why the market was going down, but we all, you know what I mean, had a reason why. Um, and I think for me, being being the trader that I am, it was based on two things. One, um, you know, there's a sentiment about the Democrats and that they want to get rid of traders and stuff like that. And you know, obviously, we're not political, but. It was really important when they when it was a rumor that Biden was going to be announcing his VP. It was you know based on the candidate choices, all of them you know had a few different ideas for how they wanted to tax gains, and so that was really important. Okay, because the market felt uneasy about it. It really didn't matter um, who it was going to be. It was just the uneasiness in the market, and then also the Russian vaccine. Again, it's not really about the Russians have, you know, say that they have a vaccine, but it's the unrest that it brings to the market. Right on. Okay, so with all of that being said, I think both of us can agree that we just want the market to go back to being awesome and soaring like an eagle. Uh, so Kanye 2020, right? Yeah, yeah, because he, he's the epiphany of mental stability. <laughs> I was just playing. We're, again, not political. But yeah, yeah, so, not, yeah, not political, not political, <laughs> not political. <laughs> so I think to start off, what we could really go into before we get into the whole eighty twenty method is your matrix of trading and how you rate stocks. Because I know you've mentioned that before, and how exactly you're trying to figure out which stocks are worth buying, worth holding, et cetera, et cetera. Besides just your fundamental analysis. Yeah, so I get this question a lot, and to me, when I found out that I was losing a lot of money, I realized. That most importantly, 
you know, I need to control what I lost because it's the same thing in baseball. If you can hit three out of every 10 balls, you make it to the Hall of Fame. So I wanted to apply that same kind of um, structure to trading stocks to where if I don't have to be, you know, I don't have to pick, you know, my win rate doesn't have to be insanely high, you know, even though it is, but you know, my win rate doesn't have to be insanely high. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. You know, it doesn't have to be insanely high, but as long as I make sure that my losses are small and that I let my big winners run, then I will be do fine in the market. So that's when I started to, you know, mess with algos and mess with certain things. And then I realized that there is no algorithm out there that can quantify certain things like management or just the overall sentiment of a company. You can't quantify um, how you feel about ACHV's management never dropping a press release. So instead, I accepted that and said that to take that I'm going to combine, um, you know, I'm going to combine my sentimental emotional trading like the management, and I'm also going to um, I'm also going to combine that with something that is quantifiable, like. Um, you know, how much cash do they have on hand? How good is the catalyst? So by doing that, you know, and this, and this wasn't like I woke up, you know, wrote down the first 10 things on my list. I created a matrix. And what this matrix is, is that it's rated from one, one being like a low score to 10. Okay. And it's one to 10. And so I figured out 10 things that were super important to me when I'm getting into a trade. Now being a swing trader, Things like relative volume on bigger charts was important to me and management were really important to me. And what is the, you know, how good of the catalyst is it? Is it an initiation to a phase one or preclinical? Eh, maybe not a huge catalyst, but was it a, you know, like TRVN, a PDUFA that could seriously impact the morphine market? So that's how I create. So, you know, I picked 10 things based on my trading strategy. So I knew that I didn't want to mess with things that got, I wanted to be in before the news. So, you know, if you're a day trader and you're, and you want to create quote unquote, this metrics, then instead of relative volume on a larger uh, chart, you're going to do relative volume based on the daily. And so that means that, you know, if it usually trades 3 million shares per day, if it gets news and it's 9 a.m. and they've already traded 7 million, now, now you know that the volume's there. And of course, we know volume, um, volume dictates price action. So when you're creating, so now, you know, I know a majority of people like our swing trade, uh, like to swing trade. So when you're creating a matrix and I'll kind of, we can kind of go into my matrix a little bit. Okay. The first one that is so important to me is, um, the catalyst and the timeline. So if the timeline is two to three weeks out, that's my perfect. Okay. Cause I don't want a catalyst that is a week out and I don't want something that's a month out. So if it's two to three weeks out, then I give this an eight and a half to a nine. Okay. Now, if it's maybe six weeks out, then we're getting into the seven range and anything past that is usually underneath a five. Now, again, you can't quantify certain things like how good of a catalyst it is. Now we can, we can create our own, you know, again, there's a metrics in a metrics. So, you know, when we, 
when when we look up on Google, you know, you can't look up what matrix category is Hue rating FDA. But I found for me that FDA catalysts do really that I do really well with FDA catalysts. So for me, if they have a phase three due or they have like an initiation, something like that, then that's usually an eight or an eight and a half. I don't really like to use the nine or the 10 because the, I never use tens because that's just, that that's dumb for trading. There's no such thing as a perfect, that, there's no such thing because you always have unwarranted risk. So I never use, and I rarely use the nine. The only time that I've used the nine has been WTRH and UAVS. So, and that was because simply everything on the matrix made sense. Everything. There was literal no down risk. And then one of the other ones that was pretty high up on the list was, can you guess it, Dan? Which one was high up on the list? Dude, do never call on me like a fucking teacher and uh, <laughs> like a sleeping student ever again, man. Uh, yeah, just, I guess, pick up where you left off. It was rumble. Um, so like I said, UAVS and WTRH were both nines. And rumble which was another great trade, was eight. So you guys can kind of see that I don't really, you know, that we're really super specific and it takes, you know, something with huge potential to even get inside the higher matrix. Now, now that we understand kind of what goes into the matrix a little bit, so again, we, you know, it's things that are important. What's important to me is not going to be important to Vinny or is not going to be important to PJ or Zach. It's not going to be the same. And that's what I mean is that if you want to be profitable and you want to be continuous, you need to find out what moves best for you. Because even though FDA catalyst works best for me and I give that an eight on my matrix, doesn't mean that Dan, you know, you Dan are going to give it an eight for your matrix because you just haven't had good luck with that. So, you know what I mean? So I think it's really important that everyone wants to, you know, know exactly what my matrix is, but it's for what works for me. That doesn't mean that's going to work for everyone else. So basically what I'm trying to say is that if you want to create your own matrix, what you need to do is that you seriously need to sit down and look at your most profitable trades. We all should have insane notes, detailed notes, and we should all remember what our best trades were. Now, if you start to see a pattern, and if you're brand new, you're not going to know this. But, you know, for the, some of the people that have been trading it for a few months, you know, a few years, look back at your most profitable trades ever. See if you can find a pattern. You know, did, did were the things trading on the 180 day, were the tickers trading on the 180 day chart way above relative volume on the 50 day? You know, or did you notice that literally phase three FDA approvals have made you your most money ever? Okay, or management. <laughs> I mean, some guys I talk to, they love, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, you know, I had a guy DMing me that he did fantastic, fantastic on um, tickers that had terrible management. So he, part of his matrix was looking for tickers that had terrible management. So again, identify, go back, look at your most profitable trades and, you know, and, and this isn't going to be like, okay, you make it tomorrow and it's perfect by next week. Mine's not even perfect. I'm always adapting it. So I think that that's really important that if you want to get into this, that you should create 10, you should, you know, look back and do your homework and create 10 things that are really, really important to you. Then when you're working on a new, when you're working on a new stock, 
you rate those and then at the end obviously you know 10 out of 10 and you know for each you know 10 categories 10 rows you know columns it would be out of 100 Okay, so that's how you rank your stocks and kind of categorize them into a future value and kind of get a price target. Uh, but you also talk about a lot your 20 to 80 risk reward. Uh, could you kind of go more into that? Because there's a lot of misconceptions. Some people have even thought that it's a 20% stop loss and an 80% limit sell, which obviously isn't true. And there's so much to it. Could you kind of go into that a little bit more? Yeah, yeah. And I think we talk about this all the time. But just to reiterate, you and I are no Einstein's. Nobody is born a good trader. No, literally nobody. Okay, everything. Every trader had to start somewhere. So I think one of the biggest misconceptions when you guys are you know trying to mimic what I do and stuff, or what Dan does, or what Zach does, or what PJ does, is that you guys think that like we have like the brain power of like Einstein. Okay, although I'm flattered, that's not true. Okay, so just doing what works for you. Yeah, I'm doing what, you know what I mean? Find something and stick to it. You know, Brett Favre threw sideways his entire career, okay? Who cares? You know, it, it, who cares what your throwing mechanism is? You know, it, you, you, can't, you can't yell at Brett Favre now that, he's, now that he's one of the best quarterbacks. You know, if, fine, he had a bunch of interceptions. He also had way more touchdowns than most NFL quarterbacks. So find what works for you. You'll still get in the Hall of Fame, Okay. And I think that that's really important. Don't try and overcomplicate it, okay? It is not. My 80-20 is not to cut profits at 80% profit and to cut losses at 20% stop loss, okay? I'll reiterate. Do not take profit. I mean, you can, but do <laughs> not take profits at 80% and do not have a stop loss at 20%. What my 80-20 rule is saying, okay, is that... 80 that I want, okay, 80% of the stocks that I get, that I go into to get me at least 100%, okay? So again, I'll say that again, is that 80% of the time, okay, that I'm entering a stock, I'm expecting 100% or better gains, Okay. Now, obviously, that doesn't always happen, and sometimes we come to like seventy percent, you know, and things like that. But the thing is that most of the time, I'm not entering a stock unless my risk to reward is fantastic. Okay. That eighty percent. So eight out of every ten tickers that I'm getting into is going one hundred percent or more. Okay. And then on the flip side. Okay, where the 20% of risk comes from, and this is what we were talking about earlier, is that you can never, you'll never have a trade that is completely risk-free, okay? Uh, if you guys remember Overstock, back in March, it was at like $4, okay? That OSTK. was OSTK. Yeah, OSTK, okay? It just hit like 1,500%. It's like a real company, too. It just went from $3 to like 112 Okay, I thought that I was chasing at $8, but I knew they could go to 50 Okay. Even that, okay, even even that I knew was like a pretty risk-free trade, but you got to think of all the different things, okay? A business scandal in a huge offering, okay? I mean, if the CEO sleeps with an intern or something, do, do, yeah, and, and they have like nothing really going for him, like that stock is going to take a huge hit. I mean, if he's on every tabloid, uh, uh, you know, across the United States and across the internationally, what do you think is going to happen? Or for instance, Nike, 
Nike's been in trouble for, you know, e- e- Nike, um, what do you call it? Third-party manufacturers, uh, they outsource. Or the, uh, the couch company that had little kids being trafficked in it. Yeah, Wayfair. Yeah, see? You yeah. Know, you, I'd, I'd call that unexpected. Yeah, that would be unexpected. Yeah, Wafer actually really didn't even take a hit, which was insane to me. But, um, but no, you're right. Like ex- exactly, like Nike, Nike third party manufacturers and outsources their manufacturing. And what these manufacturers would do is that they would sign a contract with Nike. And when Nike would come and visit, when when Nike would come and visit the factory, they would see all these adult working in like fantastic conditions. Like they were, they wouldn't even like really show them around. They would just like. You know, they would peek in and call it a day. And then what they would do is that they would, the manufacturer was outsourcing the outsource to little kids in like Vietnam. And Nike, obviously tied to that because someone knows that they were making Nike shoes. Nike was, Nike was like, like people thought that this would take down Nike. Because even though the CEO said that he didn't know about it, it was still tied back to Nike. So there's always going to be risk. Again, whether it be offerings, okay, especially in the things that we trade. If you trade small caps, okay, you have to understand that these companies half the time, you know, if if there's no real catalyst behind it, you know, they could be pumping up, you know, a stock by, you know, running it into a, a bull crap webinar, okay? Just to drop an offering. Okay, if they get like a dollar up, sometimes sometimes, you know, <laughs> sometimes that's what a hundred percent gains. If they get it up a dollar, Apple, that's not going to do anything to Apple, but a, a dollar to ACHV would be incredible. So you guys really have to understand that, you know, offerings and small caps could kill it. You know, if you play more mid caps, then that's when, where you look more like towards the management team. Okay. Or again, if you, if any of you guys, you know, know what FWP is, FWP has, was making billions in revenue. Okay. And what happened was they got their, um, they got their trademark revoked because again, these trademark and patents are only good for 10, 15, you know, maybe if you get lucky, you get longer than that. So their trademark, you know, um, got revoked and someone else scooped it up. Now they have literally zero revenue. They have an incredible amount of money in the bank because they were making so much, but they have no revenue coming in right now. The stock went from like $200 a share to like $2 a share because they have no revenue. Now they're in court. Now they're in court to try and get that patent back. But guess what? They've been in court for two years and it'll probably take another two years. That's four years of no revenue. Could you imagine being stuck in that thing? So that'd be awful. Yeah, that'd be awful. Uh, you know what else sucks? A uh, little update because we are recording this during market hours. I'm losing a shit ton of money right now, man. Are you? Yeah. What are you down right now? Uh, about three point two percent. Three. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, it, it. It's August. It's August. How much cash do you have? Like cash on me, like buying power right now. Yeah. <laughs> about only twenty five hundred dollars out of like seventy k. I just trimmed some, man. <laughs> oh, so you have all your money on the street? Okay. Yeah, dude. It's it's working you for me, man. It's not doing a good job, but. Yeah, I'm glad you listened to my segment last night where I said that to reduce everything. Dude, I was responsible for producing it, so like, give me a break, okay? <laughs> no, nah, I'm joking. I'm jo- I, I am taking a little bit of a hit today as well. <coughs> I'm, I haven't hit my goal. Okay, so uh, 
Like you said, uh, so even though it's like 100% that you're looking for on 80% of your stocks you enter, uh, you said sometimes they get to like 70% or whatever. Do you ever start to scale if you see it hit that 70% rating or are you still just holding that your whole position? I only scale. Okay. If, and again, this is where it comes back to the matrix. Okay. If something hit maybe like a seven in the matrix to where like maybe, okay, maybe it was, um, you know, like it was on the, what we call the bubble, like, you know, a six for some stocks, I'll, I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll play that. But a six for other stocks, I, I won't touch it. So again, this is where it comes into, you can't really quantify this, but say something, you know, say something gets a six or a seven and we end up playing it and it runs 150%. I always cut some at 150% because, you know, as much as I love, 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 love to hold and hold and hold. If something was barely meeting the requirements to get in and it's up 150%, I have to lock. So I usually sell about a third of my position at 150%. Now, in the case of something that is at like a nine, I'll usually not sell unless I feel like, say, say for instance, UAVS, we had it at 60 cents. The conference was two weeks out and it ran 100% or 120%. At that point, I cut a third of my position and then I bought back lower because I felt that the chart was so overextended and that we had too much time. So again, this is where, you know, you got to become a trader that, that, you know, Dan and I can teach you only so much, but then it becomes, it has to become, you know, part of a feeling, part of your second nature. So again, just to reiterate, if I always cut at least a chunk at 150%, but I never usually cut underneath 100%. And you guys will see TRVN, we were only going for 75%. So I did cut some, I did cut some at the at of TRVN. And you know, when you guys see my price targets, you know, I, I actually had someone DM me about TRVN and said, why would you get in if you only wanted 70%? I thought you only went for 100%. I was like, dude, it's August. It, it's August. Like I'm trying to find you know, it, I, I'm trying to find anything at this point, you know, that, that meets yeah. the matrix. Like you wouldn't take 70% in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're not, we're not exactly throwing spaghetti at a wall and hoping something sticks, but we're going to, we're going to get a lot of shit that does stick and take advantage. Exactly. Of it. <laughs> exactly. I was like, dude, it, it, the Padufa is still, you know, the end of the week and you're not happy with 70%. I was like, dude, like, come on. And then, and then, um, what do you, the same guy DM me, um, you know, when the Padufa, when Padufa, um, you know, blasted off or whatever, and he goes, I shouldn't have listened to you. I sold. And I was like, <laughs> sorry, you still weren't happy with 70%. I, <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a long journey for some of these folks. Um, so when you say you're 20%, uh, if, if 80% are going to 100%, are the 20% losses uh, – you know, obviously they're not just ones that don't hit a hundred percent, but if they start going down, how do you handle, like, when do you know to get out? Yeah. And this is really important because I usually, because we use such a high matrix and such like a, um, I would call like a really, you know, we use a really specific matrix and I really only take place unless it meets the highest of criteria. So the only time that I honestly really get out of a stock is one, if news comes, if, if, you know, if an offering comes out, I, you know, if it's a huge offering, then I'm usually out. I usually do add, if they do an S3, I usually add on the S3, but, um, 
you know, unless I'm taking a nap and I get stopped out. But, <laughs> <laughs> but S3, I usually add S1. I at least cut some to buy back lower, but I usually hold for that. So it would have to be either, you know, like if we're running up for a Padufa, it would have to be like an early failure. So like say TRVN failed and then later, you know, say, or say like, you know, it was due on Friday and Tuesday, the FDA came out and said that they failed or that, you know, they weren't going to yeah. accept it. That's when I would definitely get out. Obviously, you know, if, if they're, you know, if the price is at, um, is at 55 cents and they do an offering for 40 cents, I'm out. I'm not messing with that because then, then my matrix was messed up on the management because that's horrible management. Um, so really it's only things that are, it's, so again, catalyst is anything that can move the stock materially. Okay. And so although we only look for good catalysts, there's obviously bad catalysts. And so if a bad catalyst comes out, for instance, like an offering or a failure, then I get out. So any bad catalyst PR, I'm out. So with all the bad catalysts and stuff, you never know when they're going to happen. Uh, I know you mentioned last week that you have uh, like a two-week sweet spot that you like to use. Uh, do you have other time frames? Because I know like you have things like OTLK that you mentioned you want to hold for like ever. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really important is that, you know, is that you guys have to understand that when when your account gets to like, you know, a larger size, I'm not throwing, you know, back Back when I was like, you know, 18, 19, I was throwing my entire account at some of these things because I had, I had a small account. I was trying to get maximum growth and I believed in my, I believed in my strategy. So I would throw my entire account. Now that's not possible. You know, even though I have four or five accounts, that's not possible to do that, especially with my main account. It's just not, it's just not possible. So what I do is I look for things that again, same kind, same matrix, but instead I adjust the timetable. So I'm looking for things that are going to have a run up and that are easy. You know, if I can load on something and make 30% by doing nothing in a month. Okay. Now again, it's 30% in a month, but I'm, I'm not doing anything. It's, it's purely a run up. It's stress free. So OTLK, even though there was, there's a huge seller in it right now, you know, that, that hit, that went from one we got in around 120 and it hit close to 173. Now, if I, if I cut profits right there, like that's still th- what 36% or something like that's still not a bad trade to do nothing on. So I'll look for things that can run up again, phase threes, you know, Padufas, things like that, you know, where I'm looking for maybe two months or maybe a month out where no one, even the earliest of early guys, are not on it yet. Right. Yeah, so I think that sums it up for your matrix and trading strategy without letting the beast unleashed, because <laughs> uh, we'd be here for a couple more hours. Easily. Okay, cool. So to finish up, we are going to do a little Q&A and a scenario to, to finish up this little mini-sode. So to start it off with Q&A, you said you have five, four or five other accounts. Can you get into more detail the reasoning behind that? Uh, me personally, I have a different trading strategy for each account. Uh, I don't like to swing as much on my main account just because I'm extremely competitive on that account. I like to see it get green every day. And uh, yeah, if you're swinging, sometimes that can't happen. It's better for just putting things away. Uh, personally, I only have around three or four, but you know, if you, if you have five, man, let's hear it. Yeah, so I mean, I can give a little bit of a breakdown. I have... 
two TDs, um, one Weeble, a Roth, and a traditional. Uh, the Roth, I go for gains, but it's really like I'm looking for something. Um, like it was in TRVN. It was in TRVN. And, um, you know, it's something that like I feel, like my Roth is where I at the very I don't want to lose. I won't lose money. My, let, let me put it this way. I won't lose money. My Roth. That's just not a thing. So I'm looking for the best reward. You, you, can't, you can't lose. You can't lose anything just because you don't care about how long you're holding it. Yes, exactly. I'm just looking gotcha. for the best risk to reward ratio, not necessarily the best reward. So not the maximized profits. Yeah. And not and not using a time frame. Yes, and not using yeah, a time just, frame. So that's where my Roth is. My traditional is simply so that I can roll over to my Roth every year. We talked about this a lot. And oh man, guys, I want Dan to allow me to do a Roth IRA podcast, but uh, you know we're we're working on it. We're working on it. Um, so <laughs> so my it's what he likes to do on Saturday nights. He's the only 21 year old that likes to teach uh, 40 year olds how to do. Uh, it's playing their retirement fund. Yeah, what do you call, yeah. Uh, Saturday night, I'm sitting there with a the sour monkey, and I'm like, oh, you know what? I bet John would love to hear about you know how he can save four percent. And we, John's like, dude, it's Saturday night and it's four percent. What is that going to do for me? And I'm like, I get all heated about it. But anyway, anyway, what, what are you? What's what's it going to do for you? <laughs> Let me tell you. Yeah, 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 exactly. So my traditionals, like I said, it's just a vehicle to move into my Roth. There's no money in there. Then we have the Weeble. The Weeble is what I call like lotto options. That's really just to pay what I call like expenses. So my Weeble, what I'll do is, is that I keep the same amount of, I, you know, at the end of the month, what I'll do is, is that what, at the end of the month, what I'll do is that the difference that I made, I'll move that to my bank account. And then what, and then I'll, you know, start the month off every month with the same amount. And that's just like, that's just peanuts and stuff. You know, maybe I'll, I'll, you know, I hate to say this, but I'll chase some news in that and make a few bucks just to, you know, so I can live. Yeah. Feel the adrenaline, feel alive once. <laughs> yeah, exa- yeah, exactly. So then I have, um, the two TDs and the one TD is the fun account. Now, when I did the 50 K to a million, you know, I, I got some, serious messengers that there's no way that you and 21 year old and doing college and blah, blah. So, (laughs) you know, you had a great market. So what I did was, is that May I started a fun account. And what I did was, was I funded with 30,000. Okay. And I followed the same exact rules. And what I'm doing is I'm looking for that maximum growth. Okay. So I I think I shared that with that, with you guys at the beginning of August and nobody can say that it was a good market because even though it was a solid market right now, we're seeing August trading. So, you know, and then what I, why I also did that was because I found that most of my followers had underneath $10,000 in cash. So even though I didn't start with $10,000 because that would be utterly useless to me, I still want to make some kind of money. So I started with 30,000 and what I'm going to do is that I counted the amount of trades I took. So again, it's for maximum growth. And I'm taking load. I'm not taking many trades. Like I don't. I don't day trade. He's he's not doing three day trades yeah. for five days. So he, I think what he's trying to say is, even though he started with above PDT, yes. he's proving that you know these gains are all realistic. Yes, that if I can do thirty thousand to a million, then you can do three thousand to a hundred thousand in the side inside the same same time frame. Um, so that's the point of the fun account. I don't even look at it. Okay, unless I'm updating my swings or whatever. Then we have the main account, and the main account 
is obviously what I do most of my trading in. And that's what I try not to touch my main account. You know, that's where I make my bread and butter. And that's where I'm, you know, trying to, you know, really destroying the market and make a, you know, F you money. Right. Okay. So cool. I think this one is going to, you know, let's, let's try and snag this one real quick. Best high school memory. <laughs> Mine is, uh, December 7th, 2010, I became the Rome first level 85 death knight in the hit game World of Warcraft. Oh. And that was really big for me. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yourself? What was yours? <laughs> yeah, now, now I'm, I, can I really follow that up with anything? I mean, that's quite an achievement. It's, t- it's, it's tough. It is tough. I, you know, if you don't want to have an answer, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I mean, I, my first six figures. All right, next question. Um, yeah, but yours remember, is cool. Yeah, my first. Yeah, no, I mean, like, my, I guess my first six figures uh, in high school. I didn't. It just wasn't that cool to me. You know, <laughs> makes sense. Okay, so how do you handle ER on stocks that you're swinging? Yeah, this is a really good question. You want to go first? Uh, yeah, I sell it before the ER happens. Nice. That's that's really good. <laughs> so. How I do this is that, and EVFM was a per, I tried to, I tried to, I try and help everyone as much as possible, but I can't put out exactly what I'm going to do because then it's like, you know, if I have 50,000 people doing the same thing, well, then that usually screws me up. Yeah. So (laughs) I try and give as, as best of a look as possible. And that's what I tried to do with EVFM. And I kind of followed the same thing. One, it's important to understand where the support and resistance is on the 180 day. That's the chart that I use. You don't have to use that chart, but whatever. Then what I'll do is is that I'll cut some down. Or if I'm initiating a position like EVFM, I'll take a half a position. Okay. Because sometimes we are swinging things for the earnings report. Like, you know, like, like kind of, you know, like EVFM is a perfect example. We were swinging it for the conference call to hear what they said in the conference call. Because if they launched Fexi, during the conference call, it, it would rock it. So instead, they ended up you know, announcing September 8th, which kind of screws me up, but that's fine. We won't talk about that. So what I do is, is that if I'm already swinging it, I'll cut some down, okay, because you want to minimize risk. And what I'll do is, is that you know, I'll wait for earnings report. If earnings report is good and it shoots up, then I'll buy back on a dip and average up. There's nothing wrong with averaging up, especially when we're in. So when we're in, so early, you know, before everyone else, you know, it, it's okay to average up. Okay. Or if it tanks, if say I'm in and it tanks, I just buy my shares back lower and guess what? I just got a new average. I'll take that any day of the week. All right. It's, it's an earnings report. It's like a free dip. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's usually like good news too. So you can be, even if it dips after good news, you can be even more just confident in your swing. Exactly. Okay, cool. Uh, this one is a little, you know, it could be difficult. Uh, how to catch a stock that's knifing as to make sure it's at a bottom. Yeah. You got, you got anything for that one? Yeah, so I, I really, when I was young, I tried to do this all the time. I, I, you know, younger. When I was younger, I tried to do this yeah. all the time. Uh, when, when my trading career was young, I used to do this all the time. And so I really try and stay away from it. But when I see a huge overreaction, like saying S3 is out and the S3 is small, but the thing tanks like 20%, that's an easy bounce. So if you're going to catch, which I do not promote this, but if you're going to try and start catching knives, what you need to do, and again, we've talked about this once or twice, 
Do not try and catch it on the first or second candle. If you're looking at a huge red candle, do not buy. What you need is for it to come down, consolidate a little bit, and start to cup and handle back. Because if you try and catch it and it goes lower, okay, and we can even use this like the 2008 market. In the 2008 market, there were more hedge funds that got blown up than anything else. You know why? Because they tried to catch a falling knife. Every time that they thought that bottom was in, it went lower. And then they would sell, trying to find the bottom again. And then they would buy again, boom, another knife, sell. It happened for nine months in 2008. So do not try and do that. What you want to do is that you want to, you want to create a new line of support and start to curl back up. Okay, because that now you have a new line of support and it's confirming your basis. Okay, if you're giving up one, two, three, even five percent to make sure that the chart is confirmed, then you better be okay with that. Because the downside is that it takes, you know, it's a little bit of buying pressure and then it tanks another 20 percent. So if you want to catch the knives, okay, which I do not recommend, then you need to you, your charting needs to be on point and you need to be the patient for the right entry and after confirmation. Very dope. So I think I have a little something for this. Uh, so Hugh hasn't really given a good analogy today. So I'll give my shot. At let's it. go. Um, let's say you're at a bar, right? And you're, you go see just the finest strongest, most bulky woman you've ever seen. And you're really into that. But <laughs> she has a really big boyfriend. We could call him bad news. Okay. <laughs> he pushes the girlfriend who's the hypothetical stock in this situation. He pushes her so far. You don't want to be too close because then you get blown back with her. But if you're too far back, you don't get filled and she falls but if you're in just the right spot, you hold her as she stands up ever so gracefully. <laughs> Do you punch him out? You got to punch him out. Uh, it depends on how high the stock goes. Then that, I think that just gets deeper in the metaphor. Well, if, if it's the metaphor. Um, see, you, the, 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 the thing is, Hugh, you lose the metaphor and the analogy completely. And then you just start talking about being at the bar. <laughs> I was at least trying to keep everything relevant and tied together here. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. Okay, what if what if emailing the management a nasty email is you punching him? Okay, then yes. Then yes, we we piss on the, the, the boyfriend. Sweet. Sweet. I like that. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, cool. Yeah, thank you. That was my first one I've ever done. Uh, Need some work. Okay, so <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, okay, so for our scenario we have, and this is presented by The Blazing Chronicle, of course. Hey, Hugh. Huge fan of you and Dan. Thank you for all you guys do. Question. I still work full time, but since working at home, I've started trading since March and have made a decent amount of money. My wife does not know. She has her heart set on a certain dream house of ours. We could use this money for a down payment, but then I would not have any money to trade with. Or I could wait till the end of the year and buy myself a sports car. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> That's a good, good option too. If we buy the house... Before then, I could part of this money and buy a sports car. Then with the rest, pay off more of the house. What would you do? Um, well, seeing as me and Hugh have both paid mortgages on a house, purchased sports cars, and been married multiple times apiece, multiple. I think we're the perfect people to ask 
for this question. <laughs> and I'm very happy that you reached out to us. Me, I would continue just not telling her you trade until you have enough to buy everything. I mean, if you already have enough to buy a damn sports car or a mortgage on a house, dude, you're doing well. I think you should just keep it up and also keep in mind the whole taxes thing. Uh, you may yeah. want to keep those in mind. I mean, and, and you know, if neither of these work out, have you considered a divorce? So <laughs> there's a lot of options you can take. Um, yeah. Um, Q, do you have anything? Yeah, I'm, I'm mulling this over in my head, thinking about what I would do. Um, I think that, you know, I mean, depending what your wife is like, you know, I'm sure she's a lovely lady, but <laughs> if you feel that she would take all of the money and put it right at the house, um, you know, then maybe, you know, you take some on the side. But I think, I think for the sake of your marriage, I would probably tell your wife. It, it, you don't have to tell her right now, but if I, I have a better idea, yeah. I got a better one. You take out five thousand dollars and you say you got a bonus at your job. You could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Or just say you're investing and this is all the money you got from it. You don't have to say you're fucking uh, Mr. Zach Morris on Twitter. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I think I, I. I really probably would be honest with your wife for the sake of your marriage, but. But. Boo. Yeah. I, I know. I know. I know. I, I get shocker. But that being said, I think that, you know, if, if that you went there and you were like, Hey, like I want this sports car, you know, can I take a portion, you know, wait, wait until you have enough money to buy 10 of those sports cars. And then, you know, when you go to her with the money, you know, you don't have to go to her with the money right now, but when she's getting ready to buy that house, then you can surprise her with the down payment, but then, you know, make sure that you still have some to trade with and then get enough to buy the sports car. And then now you have a little bit of like, okay, great. You did my thing. You know, this is, this is how she's going to think about it. You did my thing. You know, you got me the down payment. Now, you know, I feel that it's only right that, you know, you, you know, cause there is compromise in marriage. You know, we did yours first. Now it's you my get turn. a little bit of, <laughs> yeah. So you'll get a little back alley loving if you just bought, put a down payment on a house and maybe it'd be a big flex if you pulled up to the house that she's putting down the mortgage that you pulled up on in a sports car. <laughs> Bam. So I would, so what we're trying to say is live in your shitty house in your shitty car for as long as you can until you can buy 10 shitty houses yes. and 10 shitty. Yes. yes. And then, and then move from there and then contact us then. And, uh, for a small 10% fee of that, we will give you more advice. Yeah. Dude, can uh, dude, yeah. wait, wait, just real quick, real quick. Compounding gains are everything. If you make a hundred thousand, do not buy a seventy thousand dollar car. I will, I will literally Facts. kill you. I will kill you. Facts. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. So unless you want, uh, no one would get any more Twitter calls if Hugh Henny catches a murder charge, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure he's serious. So let's all, uh, you know, keep that safe. Compound your gains. Go to theblazingchronicle.com, give us five star on iTunes, and we love you all. And I am still really red, so don't don't feel bad. <laughs> See y'all. Peace.